0: That's what we need in evangelicalism today, a little bit of humility. Too many Christian celebrities who are impressed with themselves like a who's who and a who's not so who. We need some people who are just willing to be faithful and to to be out in the trenches talking to people about Jesus. Not showmen. Oh, you give me a big audience, I'll preach. That's not a test of humility what you do with your next-door neighbor.
1: Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Broge, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. Today is part three and the conclusion of Dr. Broge's sermon entitled, Sharing Christ Consistently. Yesterday, Dr. Brogy reminded us that we must be sensitive to the call of God so that we do not miss the opportunities that He has placed in front of us. And today, he will explain that we must be willing to share Jesus, the Christ of God. Furthermore, people must be willing to submit to the command of God. Please join us in the book of Acts, chapter 4, as we continue.
0: Your first birth came through perishable seed. My dad is dead, his dad is dead, his dad is dead. I'm from a long line of perishable seed. But we've been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable seed through the living and abiding Word of God. The sword of the Spirit, the tool that the Spirit of God uses to bring about a second birth is the Scripture. So the text says he preached Jesus to him. Remember, the first book of the New Testament had not yet been written. For nearly seven years, all the early church had was the Old Testament Scriptures to preach Jesus. But he's there. He said, Abraham saw my day and believed. Moses wrote about me. It's all about Jesus. Jesus said, the Scriptures speak of me. And he preached Jesus. He didn't preach critical race theory or social justice. He didn't preach about economics or talk about how hot it was down in Gaza. No, he preached Jesus the one whom Isaiah would already write about who would be born of a virgin. A virgin will conceive and bear a child, and the child's name by title will be called Emmanuel, that is, God with us. A baby is going to be born, but this is going to be no ordinary baby. He wrote of it earlier in this book that this baby's name will be called Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And he preached three simple truths And if you're going to have the privilege to introduce someone to Christ, these are the same three simple truths you must preach. Don't make the gospel complicated. It's not. Children can grasp it. You know, sometimes people hear a sermon, they say, boy, he was so deep. I I couldn't understand it. Look, when there's mist in the pulpit, there's fog in the pew. (laughs) Vance Havner, the great preacher, dead now for some 30 years, said, just because the river is muddy doesn't mean that it runs deep. Three simple truths. First, Philip shared about sin. He shared about sin. Point A there in your outline. Isaiah 53.6. In fact, why don't you turn to Isaiah? Uh, if you're new to the Bible, find Psalms. That's about dead center. If you just open your Bible to the center, you're in the book of Psalms, and scan to the right, and you'll soon find Isaiah. I started studying Isaiah fifty three. About eight months ago, and I've written a 356-page commentary I just finished on Isaiah. I don't know that I'll ever publish it, but this chapter is so rich. It is so full, it's just mind-blowing. Look at Isaiah 53 and verse 6. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. Isaiah is describing our need for Christ, and he does so by reminding us that we're like sheep gone astray. Sheep are notoriously short-sighted. They're just interested in the next clump of grass. They often don't look where they're headed. Sheep tend to be self-centered. If you ever watch them, my brother had a whole herd once in his home in Vermont, and if they'll grab the clump that's available in front of you, they'll they'll grab it. They're just selfish, self-centered kind of animals. And they tend to travel together, and usually one ends up leaving, leading, the rest follow. And that was certainly true of the leaders in Israel. They were blind guides, and the people just followed. And so Peter, picking up on the analogy of you and I being like sheep, says in 1 Peter 2.25, for you are continually straying like sheep. But now you've returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. Sheep are stupid and headstrong. They've all gone astray. You say, are you talking about me, preacher? <laughs> I'm talking about me too. Yeah, we're, we're stupid. We're headstrong. We're self-centered. We want our own way. All of us like sheep have gone astray. He is reminding him that by nature we are sinful. By nature, we're all fallen and sinful before the Lord. So he explained that, and he would have explained in the process that they, that we need forgiveness. We need a different kind of righteousness. Isaiah has already said that your righteous deeds are like filthy rags. He doesn't say your, your bad deeds are like filthy rags. Your best deeds are like dirty rags in the sight of an absolutely holy God. And if you have an inadequate view of sin, you'll have an inadequate view of your need for righteousness. And so in Jesus's day, the Pharisees thought they were so righteous, Paul says in Romans 10, they sought to establish a righteousness of their own rather than receiving the righteousness that comes from God. Some people think they're too bad to be saved, but there's a whole lot of folks they think they're too good to be saved. They think the message I preach is for the prostitute, the drunkard, uh, the murderer, the thief, but not for them. But the Scripture says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Look, if you're hanging over a cliff with a 10 link chain, how many links need to break for you to go under? Only one. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, He's become guilty of all. That's how holy God is. And so the Pharisees were notorious for comparing themselves to someone else. I'm not like the prostitute. I'm not like the publican. I'm not like the drunkard. Certainly God will let me in. Look, next to Hitler, I'm just a sterling example of what people should be. But God compares me to the glory of God, Jesus Christ, God in human flesh, The ground is level. He preached about sin. Secondly, Philip preached about substitution. He preached about substitution here at the end of Isaiah fifty three six. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of all to fall on Him. The Hebrew word for fall means to strike or to attack. It was used of an army who would surround their enemy and then plunge on them. The Scripture is clear that the one who causes this to happen was the Lord God. That would be easy for someone to conclude that, well, Governor Pilate was the source of the crucifixion. After all, he was the one who gave the order for Jesus to be crucified. Someone else might conclude, well, it was Judas, because Judas was the one who betrayed the Lord for 30 pieces of silver. Someone else would say, well, it's the Jewish Sanhedrin. They, they trumped a false charge. They, they couldn't arrest him on a Religious charge, so they said, he claims to be a king. They trumped up a political charge. Someone else might say, well, it was the Roman soldiers who, who did this, because they were the ones who literally drove the nails through his hands and feet. Someone else might say, well, it was this Satan who did it. He was the one, the evil one, who literally came to inhabit Judas that night because Judas was open to it, and Judas followed his promptings. Others might say, well, It's all of us. Look at verse 5. He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, yes. Your hard hearts were the hammers and your sins were the nails. But understand, according to Isaiah 53, 6, it was not Pilate, it was not Annas, it was not Caiaphas, it was not Satan, it was not the Sanhedrin, it was not the howling mob, it was not the soldiers, it was not even us it was the Lord God. God caused this. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 10 and verse 28. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for, it's the preposition anti in Greek, for in the place of many. Jesus came to die in our place. He wasn't dying for his sin, for he had none. The resurrection proves that. Every calendar affirms it and confesses it. B.C. before Christ, 2021, Anna Domini in the year of the Lord. He died for you. He died in your place. Verse 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shearers so he did not open his mouth again he never defended himself look at substitution in verse 10 as it's described but the lord that is yahweh was pleased to crush him putting him to grief if he would render himself as a guilt offering He will see his offspring. He will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper him. God, the Lord Jehovah, was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. This was God's pleasure. Why? Because God loves to forgive. You say, does God really love me? He loves you this much. God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. Jesus was bearing the wrath that your sin, that my sin deserves. It was planned. It was prophesied. When Peter stood up, he said in the book of Acts that Jesus' death, that he was delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. This was all God's plan. And Isaiah writes of it 700 years before. In fact, God begins to write of it in the book of Genesis. The death of the servant. But it's not just a death. There's a resurrection. He will see His offspring. Literally, He will see His seed. Now, you might live to see one or two generations. Very rarely you'll meet someone who lives and sees three generations because they're married like at 16 or something, and their kids get married earlier. But Jesus is the eternal Son of God, And the seed that Scripture describes of the Messiah are children of God, for as many as received Him. To them, He has given the right to be called children of God. I have it circled all these verses. He was stricken. He was smitten. He was afflicted. He was pierced. He was crushed. He was oppressed. He was scourged. By the way, they're all in a past tense. Unlike modern Hebrew, ancient Hebrew has neither past, present, or future. It's determined by structure. And this is what we call a prophetic perfect. When you wanted to write something, you wanted to emphasize that what I'm writing about this future event is so sure to happen, you write it like it's in the past tense, like it already happened. that's what the prophet is doing. So Philip explained, no doubt, Isaiah 53, 11 to him, as a result of the anguish of his soul. He will see it and be satisfied by his knowledge of the righteous one. My servant, Jesus, will justify the many. Look, if you're going to go to heaven, you need to be justified. You say, what does that mean? We are justified by faith and we have peace with God, the Scripture says. The word justified means just as if you had never sinned, but more importantly, just as if you had always obeyed. A great exchange takes place. 2 Corinthians five twenty one says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. If this bulletin is me, I am born separated, stained, guilty. By nature, the Scripture says I'm a child of wrath, unless I'm, I, I am an unaccountable child. But when I receive Christ, I am placed in Christ. He made him, the Father made Jesus, who knew no sin, who was sinless, to be sin on your behalf. On the cross, the sin of all time was laid on Christ. He bore our sin in His own body on the cross, that you might become the righteousness of God in him. God sees Carl Brugi through his Son. He sees me as holy, because I've received the one who took my place there on Golgotha. He took our sin that we might take His righteousness. Your righteousness by nature is like a filthy rag, but if you receive Jesus, he will forgive every blot and stain that you have ever committed. Then Philip shared simple faith, not just about sin, not just about substitution, but simple faith. Um, the eunuch, using Isaiah 53, has preached how he would die, how he'd be raised, how he'd see his offspring. But none of that is any good unless you respond in faith. So go back to Acts 8. We're almost done. Acts 8, verse 36. And they went along the road. They came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? That's interesting. Now, in some Bibles, it's at the bottom of the page because there's some ancient manuscripts that don't contain it. But the best manuscripts contain it, and so in the New American Standard, King James, so forth, it's in the body of the text, and rightly so. And it's critical. Look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? You have to believe put out in the margin next to verse 37, Romans 1:16. for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why are you not ashamed of the gospel, Paul? Because it's the power of God for salvation. For everyone who believes, you have to believe. How about Romans 4, 4 and 5? Now to the one who works, his wage is not reckoned as a favor, but what is due? You work hard at the end of the week. They hand you a paycheck. That's not a favor. You owe it. The person just did the work. But by contrast to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. Who will God reckon as righteous, as holy in his sight? The one A who doesn't work for it. You work for it, you're basically saying, I'm a good enough person to get into heaven and God won't let you in. The person who sees himself as ungodly. Paul will later write in Romans 11 and verse 6, But if it, your salvation is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. This is what Paul told the Philippian jailer. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. Now, quickly, one last point. You must be sensitive to God's call. You must share Yeshua, Jesus, the Christ of God. Third, you must ask people to submit to the command of God. You have to ask them to submit to God's command. Philip carries out the command of the Lord Jesus to baptize saved people. And there are three lessons that we learn from this baptism. First, baptism was conditioned on faith. It was conditioned on faith. and the Great Commission, Jesus tells us to preach the gospel to the lost, and then he asks us to baptize the saved. He says in Matthew 28, 18, "...all authority has been given to me in heaven and on an earth." Now, I don't know about you, but I want to obey the one who has all authority. Go, therefore, and make disciples, you could paraphrase it, make converts, make believers of all nations, baptizing them, not in the names, but in the names singular, we worship one God who manifests himself in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So here's the eunuch, verse 36, look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And notice the condition, it's what we just read in Matthew 28, If you believe with all your heart, you may. You have to first become a disciple. Make a convert, then you baptize them. 300 years later, man reversed it. We started baptizing little infants, later asking them to believe. It's just the opposite in the Bible. Believe and then be baptized. Make disciples, then baptize them. You can be baptized if you believe with all your heart. He said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That's his unashamed public confession of faith. All his life had been a preparation for this moment. The education that allowed him to read the Scripture, the high position that qualified him to travel to Jerusalem, the wealth that enabled him to buy an actual scroll of the prophet Isaiah, his interest in Judaism that had left him dead and wanting and searching on the inside. Nothing's wasted in his life and nothing is wasted in yours. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And so, Philip the evangelist was not ashamed to baptize him. And I tell people all the time, if you're not ashamed to confess Jesus as Lord, I'm not ashamed to baptize you. Secondly, baptism is executed by immersion. Not only is it conditioned on faith, it's executed by immersion, verse 38. And he ordered the chariot to stop. And they both, circle those words, they both, they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. Now, this is important. He first examines him. He wants to make sure they're a believer, and we try to do that as best we can, humanly speaking. If a person doesn't know what the plan of salvation is, then they can't be baptized because you can't believe in something you don't first know. Philip didn't go to the edge of the water and say, well, let me get a handful and just sprinkle you. Or he didn't say, let me get a cup and pour it on you. The text says they went down into the water, and then he baptized them. There's a Greek word for sprinkling, for pouring. He uses the Greek word baptizo. It means to submerge or to immerse. The text says they both went down into the water, verse 39. Then it says they came up out of the water. Why is immersion done by 90% of Bible-believing Christians worldwide? Because that's what the Scripture teaches, it's not rocket science, and it's only immersion that can picture what you're confessing. When you're laid on your back, you don't bury people vertically. You lay them on their back. You put them in the ground. It's a symbol of death, burial, resurrection. You're saying to those watching as the five we baptized this morning, I'm going into heaven because of the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord. Nothing I've done— I've put my faith in the one who died and was raised for me. And then third, baptism is followed by joy. It's followed by joy. Look, if you will now, at verse 39. And they came up out of the water. The Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. That word snatch is interesting. You know, there's a famous passage of Scripture most of you know. We call it the rapture, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. then we who are alive and remain shall be snatched, caught up, harpazo, same word. God sometimes gives us a foretaste of an event that's going to happen in the future ever before it happens. They're out in the Sea of Galilee, horrible storm. Jesus walks in the water, gets in the boat, stops the storm, and then the Bible says, and immediately, the boat was on the other side. Wow. Here's Philip. He's snatched. He's caught up. Where does he end up? Azotus? Captain Kirk doesn't have anything on us. Man, he's suddenly gone. He's caught up, snatched away. And he goes to this place called Azotus. And the text says, verse 39, he, the eunuch, went on his way rejoicing. It's interesting. The first half of the chapter describes Simon the sorcerer, a fake believer, and he's filled with fear. Here is the eunuch. He is a genuine believer and he's filled with joy. And that's what obedience does. Look, anybody who tells you baptism saves you, helps saves you, washes away sin, they have misrepresented the Bible. It doesn't do any of those things. It's a symbol, but it's more than a symbol. This ring on my finger is a symbol that I am married. I put it on 41 years ago. The ring didn't marry me. God married me. It's just emblematic. But if I wore a ring without being married, it would be an empty symbol. To be baptized before you're saved, it's just as empty. That's why infants aren't baptized in the Bible. There's not one thread of one half of one verse where an infant is baptized man made that up. People who find infant baptism in the Bible, that's called eisegesis, where you read into the text. God has called a pastor to be faithful to exegeting the text, to read out what He has plainly said. You can't make up stuff. You make the Bible mean whatever you want it to mean when you do that. But while it's a symbol, it's more than a symbol. It's an act of obedience. When you obey the Lord, your joy is full. Philip was found at Azotus, and passing on, he preached the gospel all the way to Samaria. Man, just 35, 40 miles away, suddenly gone. How are we going to apply this passage? Three simple applications. Number one, sharing Christ consistently, that's what we're talking about this morning, is preceded by personal holiness. What do I mean by personal holiness? I just mean walking in obedience. A vessel for God's use, as Paul says in 2 Timothy. This was a man whom Acts 6 described as full of the Spirit and full of wisdom. I already said that God never leaves a surrendered vessel unfilled and God never leaves a filled vessel unused. God will use you, but not if your heart's out of sync. Secondly, sharing Christ consistently is dependent upon selfless availability. You have to be available. Here's a man who was involved in a great revival, but God calls him to leave the spotlight to go to this out-of-sight kind of place. He leaves center stage where multitudes are responding to go backstage in a desert. That's what we need in evangelicalism today, a little bit of humility. Too many Christian celebrities who are impressed with themselves like a who's who and a who's not-so-who We need some people who are just willing to be faithful and to to be out in the trenches talking to people about Jesus. Not showmen. Oh, you give me a big audience, I'll preach. That's not a test of humility. It's what you do with your next-door neighbor. Third, sharing Christ consistently is expressed through a personal understanding of biblical truth. I mean, here's Philip. He's full of the Spirit and full of wisdom. Where do you get wisdom? Right here in this book. You say, Pastor, I, I can't memorize Scripture. You'll never make me believe that. If I gave you $1,000 for every verse you memorize, you would become a memorization machine. It's an issue of priority. There's some basic verses every Christian should hide in their hearts that we will be ready, sensitive to the call of God when the door is open, sharing Christ. That's whom we preach. Beginning with this text, he preached Jesus. And then when men and women and boys and girls are converted, we ask them to take the first step of obedience and to be baptized. Now, our Father, we thank you this morning. We who deserve nothing, you've given us everything in Christ Jesus. Thank you for the incredible forgiveness Thank you, Lord Jesus, that in your body on the cross, you took all of my sin, past, present, and future, that I might be forgiven and have new life. Help someone today who's not really sure of salvation, not sure that heaven is their home. Thank you for your promise that whosoever will may come that whoever will call on Jesus' name will be saved. Help someone in simple faith, believing your word, knowing that you cannot lie, to simply say, Lord Jesus, save me by your death and resurrection. Now, Father, we pray for this new week. We pray especially for Friend Day at the end of the month when we will be reaching out to people in the community to come for just a simple presentation of the gospel, that you would use it in a powerful way. Help dads and moms to care for their children, for their grandchildren, the most relevant area of life. You remind us throughout scripture that we can provide intellectually, physically, socially, but if we leave them bankrupt spiritually, we've done too little. So help us to care about souls. Thank you that someone cared about my soul. Help us to care about people that they might find forgiveness in new life. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Please join us tomorrow for part one of Sharing Christ with Others. We will be in the book of John, chapter 3, verses 1 through 21. If you enjoy today's message, you can order a CD or DVD copy by calling Search the Scriptures at 877-787-7478 and requesting program Sharing Christ Consistently. Maybe you have a question you would like to ask Pastor Brogy personally. You can do that on Tuesdays between 11 and noon Eastern during his live call-in program, The Bible Line. You can listen to The Bible Line online at wagp.net. We hope that you will join us tomorrow as we continue to search the scriptures.